Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Ever, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we are back with another Women in Horror Month special. Yes. Yes. And this time we picked a film. Actually, you know, Chris picked this film. Uh, I hadn't heard a thing about it. Watched the trailer, I was immediately sold. Uh, we are talking about Office Killer from 1997. Chris, would you like to explain your choices? And also, directed by Cindy Sherman, uh, she only directed 30-30 Vision, three decades of strand releasing a uh, documentary. Uh, over then, uh, she, she um, directed part of that. Oh, part of it, okay. So it was the... Um... I was just going to say, you might as well, because you know all the backstory with Cindy Sherman and yeah. your choice behind this film. So. Yeah, so I was aware of this film, um, essentially from being a fan of... Carol Kane, Cindy Sherman, Molly Ringwald. So I knew it existed. Um, on IMDb, it has a 5.1 out of 10, which I was quite shocked by. Um, so I'd been wanting to watch it for years, and then I thought, oh, women in horror, let's give it a chance. It's very on brand for us. Yeah. Um, 1997, like post-scream um, horror film that we seem to enjoy covering on the podcast um and i was pleasantly surprised because 5.1 is an absolute insult yeah um cindy sherman i was aware of for her uh, artwork um her most famous sort of work is her self-portrait photography um, where she uses herself as a, as a kind of canvas and she essentially paints on different personas mm -hmm. and then takes these photographs. Yeah. And her work deals with a lot of um, themes including feminism, self-image, sexuality. And I was most familiar with, uh, like a lot of people, um, her untitled film stills series of um, photographs from the, uh, I believe, late 70s, early 80s, um, sh in which she sort of takes, she poses in various guises, referencing generic female film characters, including the ingenue, the working girl, the vamp, the lonely housewife. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And I, I I wondered how she would take that that's so key to her art art and so key to her photography and make it into a slasher film. Yeah. And that's really what what really drew me to this film and particularly for Women in Horror Month. Uh, because we could have just watched this as a throwaway. Because it's a 5.1, I was so nervous that we would watch this and it was shit. And, you know, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Just giving women the opportunity to make shit films is half the battle. Yeah. But I don't, I don't necessarily want to go and shit on a, a women in horror film. Yeah. I, I didn't really want that, particularly from an artist director that I admire so much. So thankfully... It's a good film. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> spoiler alert. With a good. premise like this, if 
it was bad, then it would have been something we would have been able to have uh, done something with for an episode anyway. Uh, but this is one of those films where you're watching it, and, and at the time, you know, we were first time watch. I, I was just there thinking, do you know what, I, I wish I was just watching this for the first time without having to make notes. Um, because it, it is so much fun, and just massively underrated horror comedy. That I, I mean, I knew nothing about it, you know, and... Uh, there's way worse films that have received way more publicity and you know and they're still spoke about to this day but this one just, just goes under the radar yeah we might as well deal with the elephant in the room from the get-go it was a big fat flop yeah it really critics didn't understand it yeah so I, I haven't got the budget but it did make seventy six thousand and fifty four dollars at the box office well which is you great. know that's probably not even close to its budget, really. It, it would mm-hmm. never have made its money back. Um, unfortunately, it's probably why Cindy Sherman didn't direct a feature-length film again. Um, she did direct one very short film, a two-minute two film in the 70s um, called... I believe it was called Doll Parts, mm-hmm. which is just essentially... Uh, doll Clothes, excuse me. And it was usually it, essentially just... Um, paper dolls you, you yeah. know um and sort of that was in keeping with her art rather than a feature length uh narrative film and then obviously she took part in Thirty Thirty vision three decades of strand releasing i'm assuming she just did a short film as part of that as well yeah i mean i thought it was a documentary film oh it might be a documentary then actually i don't, I don't know what she um, there were other directors involved in that. Uh, okay, probably but a short This was film, her so. only time directing a film, which is interesting because a lot of her art was influenced by film. Yeah. And particularly classic Hollywood and the depictions of women, mm-hmm. modern women, how people perceive modern women to be within those films. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of her photographs, she inserts herself into a dialogue about stereotypical portrayals of women. Yeah. And this film absolutely deals with oh, that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't want to sound like a snob, and I don't want to sound like a wanker, but I think because those themes aren't... It, because it doesn't necessarily slap you around the face with them... Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with Cindy Sherman's work, you might not get it. No. And you might not get what she's trying to do with this film. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real shame. And I think knowing, going into it, about Cindy Sherman, knowing about her work, knowing about what drives her work, made me appreciate this film a lot more. Yeah. I think absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely filed us under misunderstood classic. Mm. Can I agree? I, I absolutely believe that. And, and, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm talking down to anyone. But if when you understand, you'll get it. Yeah, no, absolutely. That sounds really no, it's wanky. True. It's true. And I, I kind of hate when people say that. Um, but in this case, it rings true. It is true, and I mean, I don't see why people can't just enjoy this as just a, a fun slasher flick as well, you know, I, I yeah, don't get... It's a get, black comedy. Exactly, I don't it's get... It's a black comedy. I'll never understand that the 5.1 is, is ridiculous. Uh, so, with a small bit of trivia, even though Chris has most of it, uh, Gene Triplehorn's in this, 
Uh, and she wasn't exactly comfortable filming a scene in which her character literally stumbles onto a dead body. Initially, the scene was meant to be much gorier than the finished product, which is shocking, because it's like the goriest scene in the film. <laughs> yeah, it is, actually, yeah. Um, she was in Basic Instinct. She was in Basic Instinct. Yeah. yeah. But I don't, I don't think she dealt with the dead bodies in Basic Instinct. Uh, no. She was Michael Douglas's um, girlfriend, I think. According to Christine Vacon, the production, Vachon. Vachon, the production company Killer Films gets its name from this film. Okay. Apparently. And uh, an early draft Wouldn't of the... would be office killer Oh, films? yeah. <laughs> an early draft of the script featured more violence and gore, but Cindy Sherman felt the focus should be on what Doreen does with the bodies once she's killed them, not how. Yeah. 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 And that, that's very clear in the film. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of times with uh, horror comedies, you, you really, it is rare you get the perfect blend between horror and comedy but this deals with its horror side just as well as it does with the comedy yeah whilst paying homage to films that aren't even horror films yeah it's 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 a black comedy rather than when you think of something like Shaun of the Dead which is a horror comedy you look at Evil Dead which is a horror comedy Mm -hmm. it's so ridiculous and so over the top that it's you wouldn't really class it as a black comedy. No, even though it deals with death, it's not really a it's not really a black comedy. It's a horror comedy because comedy is with a capital C O M E D Y. You yeah. know, yeah, it should something you know it should have a laugh track. <laughs> yeah, I I think I reckon this film has been partially. I don't even say partially. I think it's been fully influential on some films that have been released since it. Um, I think, you know, I think some people have heard of this because, I mean, you look at something like uh, The Columnist, that is almost a remake of this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, even... It's just that sort of humour. Um, I mean, this is like... You know, it's... I don't know how to explain it, but there's so many horror... I mean, black comedies and horror films with comedic tones that just remind me of this that are released way after. It's a... I suppose you would describe it as a good for her. Yes, good for her cinematic universe. Yeah, but with an emphasis on the question mark. Yeah. Yeah, good for her. Yeah, like, it, um, it leaves you with some moral questions. Let's put it yeah, that, that moral and moral ambiguity, yes. which it you know the style, um, not the style, the columnist, mm. uh, which is a great recent film, um, that deals with a, a very similar yeah. subject. That moral ambiguity. No, absolutely, and I think maybe people didn't get it because it's a horror film that was. Advertised really as a slasher film. Yeah. You you look at the poster. Oh yeah. Um, and it was advertised as a slasher film, and it puts women front and center. Yeah. It's a film about women, um, and unfortunately, maybe in nineteen ninety seven, that's not what people were looking for no. in the slasher films. No. Um, I mean the reaction we had to posting that we were going to be discussing it. It shows that there is, you know, a lot of people do appreciate it now. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really great to see. 
Uh, so, getting into the film, a mouse... Can we have a Blu-ray release, please? Yes. Yeah, very overdue. <laughs> I feel like we're finishing the, uh, I know, yeah. the episode <laughs> early. Well, that's, that was uh, the office killer. <laughs> so, getting into the film, a mousy office worker accidentally kills one of her co-workers, then proceeds to bump off a few of us. Um, can we also just appreciate the cast in this film and how much of a great job they do? Absolutely. Like, seriously... Carol Kane is incredible in this film. Yeah. Uh, and Molly Ringwald as well. She is so good. Absolutely playing against type, yeah. Molly Ringwald. I think she was um, definitely seen as the 80s ingenue, the uh, good girl yeah. in those teen flicks, um, looking for the love of a good man. Um, and this is definitely against type for her because oh, yeah. she's the bitch. Yeah. We start with opening titles that give us a bit of a riff on uh, Citizen Kane. And hey, we've got Carol Kane. Get uh-huh. it? <laughs> you think that's what I, they're going I for? I hope that's what they're going for. Yeah, I suppose so. When they come back and the first thing you see is Kane, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but very um, film noir style. Yeah. Um, we get a typewriter. Yeah. You know, um, we get voiceover from... Uh, Carol Kane is playing um, Doreen, which is spelt really weird. I don't know if this is an American spelling. D-O-R-I-N-E. I'm looking at it, and why do I say Doreen? But it's Doreen. Yeah. Doreen. Whereas we would probably spell Doreen, D-O-R-E-E-N. Oh. Oh, of course we would. Doreen, yeah. yeah. I suppose. Yeah, Doreen, seeing a Soreen. Okay. Do you remember that advert? No, no, no okay. I just thought of uh, Birds of a Feather. That's Dorian. <laughs> oh, Dor- oh okay. Dorian. Dorian. Slay Queen Dorian. Wrong on that as well. Dorian Green. Well, it's Dorian Green is her name, so that's probably why you got it confused. <laughs> so, we get an opening voiceover from Carol Kane telling us about uh, Constant Consumer Magazine. And this, this opening four minutes is hectic and we get to know everybody within these opening four minutes as well yeah absolutely it works at a very quick pace um because it's a play on classic hollywood films classic hollywood films do yeah work at that pace it's true um they they are i mean we live in the age of the two to three hour blockbuster yeah now but back in the day films were short quick and then every so often you would get an epic that mm-hmm. was three hours long. Um, my, I'm thinking His Girl Friday. Yeah. A short film based around a newspaper office. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a screwball comedy, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, but I'm getting those vibes. Yeah, from definitely. It. I, th- I think what Cindy Sherman's done is, is sort of cherry pick from a lot of classic Hollywood. Yeah. And use that... To create this, well, it's not a parody really, in some sense maybe a little bit of a parody, but to create this, like, homage. Yeah. To a certain I, I mean, I'd say satire. Satire. A, yeah. a loving satire, like the you know, like with *Malignant*. Um, yeah. A satire that has plenty of respect for its source material. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so everything's going on. Uh, a call handler's taking a call from someone, talking about a massacre. Uh, the nicotine queen, 
as she's, she'll come to be known as. Nicotine Queen. Um, tells, uh, tells our lead character Nora about herself and tells her to get out there and drop the axe. Yeah, so her name's Virginia Wingate. Yes. And uh, she loves a cigarette and she loves being a cold-hearted bitch. So we get stereotype from classic Hollywood. Loves a ciggy. Yeah. Loves being a bitch. You know, oh, women in power, they've got to be bitches. Yeah, they've got the costumes for it as well. Oh, and she's got um, that sort of transatlantic um, accent yeah. that was so prevalent in uh, classic Hollywood. That kind of, is she British? Is she American? Or like, where, where is she? She's somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic, um, which is great. You know, and she plays it so well. Yeah. Forgive me, I can't remember the actress's name. Uh, but she just plays so well. She's not, she's not in the film that much. Um, but her scenes do stand out. Yeah. Um, then Doreen is working hard. Uh, Nora Nora suggests that Virginia hands out the downsizing letters. Yeah. But Virginia put... I've got it down as Norma. I don't know why I started with Norma. Obviously her name is Nora. And I do correct myself later on. Maybe I'm thinking Norma Desmond. Um, but she uh, puts Nora in her place rather quickly. She says, Nora, I never crawl, and you're spitting germs in my face. <laughs> Nora has a cold, and that's why she's spitting germs in her face. Nora's called a tramp by Kim, who gave her the cold. Kim is played by Molly Ringwald. Yes, yeah, she calls her a tramp. That, what a classic Hollywood put down, know. tramp. <laughs> um... And uh, after we get a bit of a speech from Mr. Landau, uh, the Citizen Kane-style titles make a return, and the soundtrack at this point is just so noir. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's also really interesting to note how the offices are very in keeping with the um, classic Hollywood noir elements of the film. Um, It's not in black and white, um, but the sets are very beige, they're very brown... There's a giant chalkboard there. It's like, mate, it's 97. Yeah. Massive chalkboards. Uh, the characters were also dressed in a, I thought, a very 40s oh, fashion. Oh, yeah. Apart from Kim. Yeah. Molly Ringwald. So I, I feel like she is the modern, real modern woman. Yes. Kim. And, uh, yeah, she's a little more fashion forward. I really need... For 97. <laughs> yeah. I, I need Molly Ringwald's secrets. I mean, I really don't know how she's getting younger. She's age. not aged a speck. She really hasn't. She, she genuinely looks older in the 80s. She's yeah. Benjamin Button. She is. But, button. Button? Button? But I feel like in a lot of those teen films, they looked a lot older because they... I feel like they felt a need to dress older. Yeah. That's what I thought. Like, I, all of, Molly Ringwald, all I can think of is that dress in Pretty in Pink. Mm-hmm. That fucking hideous <laughs> dress. <laughs> and how old it made her look. That's just rude, isn't it? Well, <laughs> but it is It's quite a juxtaposition between the very 40 stylings and the mm. fact that they're all talking about computers yeah, and emails and using mobile phones and pages and, and all that. So it's quite interesting. Uh, Doreen, due to budget cuts, is forced to work from home. Uh, she finds out at work and spills a drink down herself. It's quite amusing, especially in this day and age, um, that Doreen goes on a killing spree because she's forced to work from home. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yeah. Could you imagine? If that I mean, now? It, it, yeah, it would be a worldwide massacre. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if everyone got would, that pissed off because they had to work from home, would be goners. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she, she's she's fuming about it. Um, Kim and Nora discuss Dorian having to work from home, and Daniel, uh, a guy who works. Oh, with she them, doesn't drop her. No, she doesn't drop her um, drink on herself. Is she not? No, no. It's it took me a while to realize. So what she is, she's at the photo. So we get actually a quite nice shot from outside mm-hmm. of of the building, and it's very again very sort of classic Hollywood. Um, where Doreen is at the photocopier. Yeah. So she's having to photocopy all these letters for everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, photocopiers back then used, like, toner. I yeah. think it's toner. But the toner was, like, a powder. So she was shaking that up. Oh, okay. And then it exploded yeah. on her and sort of went on her face and on her clothes. Um, her clothes are hilarious in this film. By yeah, the way. she's constantly not even like a Princess Leia double bun. She's got like I wouldn't know how to describe it. Well, I, well, really, it's a Mel B double bun, isn't it? To yeah. be fair, um, and she's got these thick glasses, obviously, um, and um, she's got a cardigan. She always got a cardigan. She has, hasn't she? And yeah, so she gets all this over her. Nora, who is, is the office manager, um, she does take pity on her and she's like, oh, you know, poor Doreen. She couldn't remember her name mm-hmm. or, or, you know, <laughs> she gives her the wrong name, but she does feel sorry for her. So we're kind of getting, if we're looking at this in terms of horror stereotypes, yeah. Nora is the nice one who who's taking pity on Doreen and is probably going to be our final girl. Yeah. If we're looking at it in terms of horror stereotypes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Kim and Nora discuss her having to work from home uh, at a bar where they're joined by Daniel. Kim is dressed like a member of a late 90s girl group. She is, she is. She's absolutely no sympathy whatsoever for Doreen's downsizing, despite Nora's guilt. Yeah, Um, but Nora's boyfriend Daniel will be working in the office tomorrow, and Nora's his new boss. No, it's... No, so, this is where I got confused. So that's not... Oh, that is Daniel. Oh, well, we are selling this film as confusing, confusing for with Gary. <laughs> no, I'm... It, it's, this is Daniel, yeah. Do you know what? It actually... And I'm not sure if it's by design or not, um, but a lot of the men are kind of very similar. Yeah. So um, I got a little confused as to which it is. This is Daniel. Daniel is Nora's boyfriend. Yeah. And he'll be in the office the next day. Mm-hmm. Yes. Doreen finds a dead mouse in her kitchen and puts it in the garbage disposal without even thinking about it. That's where it all starts. Nice little touch to uh, serial killer stories. Absolutely. <laughs> and this is what the film does. Yeah. Um, she's downtrodden. Mm-hmm. She is ignored. Yeah. She um, has an incredibly overbearing mother. Yeah. She we find out later on, was abused by her father Mm -hmm. and she kills an animal without even a second of thought. Yeah. Well, well, she disposes of it. Mm -hmm. I think one of the cats killed it. But she disposes of the the animal with sort of no sort of regard. She's like, whatever. 
And that's, you know, that those are the stereotypical serial killer. Which reminds me, this is kind of like a non-zany version of Serial Mum. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely given Serial Mum. Serial Mum with office space. Serial Mum meets office space, but less zany, more dark. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is giving Serial Mum vibes in that yeah. sense. It's it's always the one you least suspect yeah. kind of idea. Yes, she's a carer for her mother and uh, she brings her dinner, switches up the film she's watching and tells her that she'll be working from home now, which her mother is pleased about. She thinks they'll spend a bit more time together. Yes. Uh, she also suggests that there's quite a few DIY tasks there that is, taken care yeah. of. So if Doreen's home a lot, she can... Uh, help around with those around yes. the house. Um, Doreen then gives a voiceover about independence and uh, how it leads to a se- successful mother and daughter relationship before unplugging her mother's stair lift after she just asks her to leave it on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that's a very interesting sort of uh, mother-daughter relationship on display there. Mm-hmm. The, the domineering mother. Uh, we've seen it a lot, but we do usually in films see it from a male perspective yeah um obvious one psycho psycho norman bates absolutely yeah um kim attempts to kiss gary michaels played by cindy lauper's husband (laughs) uh in the office when doreen catches them Uh, mr landau requests that gary stops uh, kissing people because everyone has his cold yes yeah, Mr. Landau's another sympathetic character in The Office, isn't he? Yes. Um, him and, and Nora. Played by, is it Matt Hodge? Mark Hodge? He's he's another well-known oh, actor. Is, is he? I mean, so well-known that I don't remember. You don't know name. any films he was um, in. <laughs> no, but I do. I, I looked earlier. I can't remember what it was now. Um, but yeah, he's another fairly well-known one. Mike Hodge? Mike Hodge. There Mike we go. Mike Hodge. Uh, he re-enjoyed his performance in To Wong Fu. To Wong Fu, yes. Thanks there for we everything. Yeah. yeah, so... Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't get a lot of screen time, but he is uh, he's great with what he's got. Um, but later that evening, Doreen is working late and her computer won't stop buzzing and she's fucking fuming, as we, as we all would be. Yeah, seemingly some article has been lost. Yes. Some piece has been lost. Um, technology ain't doing what it's meant to be doing. So, um, Doreen has seemingly volunteered to mm-hmm. stay and um, find it. And yeah. Gary's in some way being forced to stay and try and find it with her. That's what I got. Yeah. I think. yeah. Gary is also a fucking goon. And just to clear it up, that does not go for all Garys. <laughs> um, I have to say, though, in a lot of films we've covered slash watched, Garys tend to be arseholes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know where filmmakers get the stereotype from, but uh, <laughs> it's certainly, it can't be this one. Well, you were five when this came out. Exactly. So... Deep, deep character study of five-year-old Gary. Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, want to do that one. <laughs> so, the computer won't stop buzzing. Doreen's having a meltdown over it. She goes to Gary for help. He 
starts rubbing her shoulders. Yes. As what I believe to be some sort of joke to make her feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. He absolutely seems like one of these people that gets off on making others feeling uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was absolutely awful grammar. I do apologise. Well, the way I just... I'm sure there was an easy way of saying that sentence. Um, but she runs away. And uh, he calls her pathetic. He does. He does. Um, one thing I've noted here is... Uh, I've just noticed Carol Kane's very thin eyebrows. Yeah, oh my God, her eyebrows are amazing in this film. And bright blusher. Yeah. Now, I thought that was also very in keeping with classic Hollywood style. Yeah. And I feel like the way her makeup is done and the way she's styled would work in a black and white film. Yeah. It's like she's wearing... It's very Betty Davis. Yes. But also uh, very divine as well. A very... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But very Joan Crawford. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this film um, very much reminds me of a Betty Davis film, mm-hmm. Now Voyager. Yeah. Um, and I'll get onto it a little more later on. But now Voyager, the the premise is essentially a downtrodden woman with an overbearing mother mm-hmm. tries to find love, yeah. essentially. And I, I think it's very interesting the the uh, comparisons between the two. Yeah. Um, well, I might as well say it now. Whereas in now Voyager, Betty Davis finds love. Mm-hmm. She's cured. By yeah. the love of a good man. Yeah. In Office Killer, she doesn't have him. You know, there's no romance there. No, she's so, cured by the death of a good man. Yeah. <laughs> well, a bad man. <laughs> but she... It, it's it's interesting to see... And I, I'm assuming it, it's very much tongue-in-cheek. The idea that if Betty Davis in Now Voyager hadn't found yeah. this miracle doctor for love and mm-hmm. for curing her ailments, then she would have ended up potentially being an office killer. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> yeah, that's what happens to Carol Kane, because she hasn't got a man around. And it's something that her mum says later on as well that sort of plays into that. Yeah, so he tries to give her a massage um, and starts ranting to her about the office. So she runs away to the bathroom. Uh, he tries solving the issue, and uh, an accident contributes towards the extinction of Gary's. Um, yeah. So, in, in a way, he kind of mansplains it. Oh, he does, yeah. Or, so he mansplains it, but then kind of, to fix a buzzing from the computer, he goes to the electrics in the wall. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's very clear he has no idea what he's yeah. doing either. Um, but he's... Um, fannying around, um, as they would say back in the day, uh, with the electrics, and the lights go out as Doreen returns. Uh, he says, rather crassly, Doreen, if you're done playing with yourself, can you come and hold the lights? <laughs> Doreen backs up and accidentally hits a switch that electrocutes yeah. Gary. <laughs> Yeah, and that's another one of us gone. That's another one gone. Another asshole Gary gone. <laughs> I'm amongst the last. Well, you are really. I mean, you were born in 92, yeah. and 92 was the last year of the Garys. 
Because I think there's one somewhere. Someone must have called their kid Gary sometime within the last almost 30 years. I, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Just one or two. Uh, <laughs> I mean... It was a choice calling me Gary, let alone anyone born after 1992, so... <laughs> he tries, uh, yeah, yeah, so he's, he's Doreen dead. calls 911, yeah. but she doesn't actually say anything before hanging up. Yeah. Um, she gives, she's actually pretty pleased. Well, she is, yeah, she, she gives him a talent off, doesn't she? She does. She tells Gary he's an unpleasant man, and she was just trying to pitch in, and he didn't need to get personal. <laughs> Um, yeah, she places this corpse on a cart. Oh, she's fuming now that she has to clean up as yeah. well, clean up the mess. <laughs> yeah, she rolls it down to her car, loads it in the trunk, gives a homeless guy some money, and takes <laughs> and takes Gary home. Yes. Placing him in her basement. Uh, before doing this, she has flashbacks to her younger self being taken into a police car whilst the corpse is being taken away in a body bag. Yeah, and she goes past the body bag, and she's in the police car, and she looks quite pleased with herself. So we only get a little snippet yeah. of this car accident, but she does look quite pleased with herself. Mm-hmm. She's a young girl, I'm, I'm assuming she's, what, 13, 14. Um, but yeah, we get a little snippet of, uh, you know, the craziness that's about to uh, begin. Um, Gary's on the couch as well, isn't he? Yes. He's, he's in the basement, but he's on the couch. Uh, ready to watch a bit TV. <laughs> we cut to Doreen's mother trying absolute shit about uh, Doreen allowing the cats to unplug her chairlift and uh, her having to ask some local Girl Scout to yeah. plug it back in for her. Now, I'm assuming these are the Girl Scouts later on. I assume so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so she's having a whinge and a moan about the chairlift, just chatting crap. Uh, and then we're back at the office, and yeah. Virginia is absolutely fuming that Gary hasn't turned up to work. Even his wife doesn't know where he is. <laughs> no, his wife who doesn't get a full face. <laughs> no, no. Um, but it's it's Kim's delivery of the... Uh, his wife doesn't even know where he is. Yeah. Uh, weren't you snogging him in the office not too long ago? Uh, yeah, so Kim... Uh, Kim... Kim gives Gary's wife uh, a call again, and uh, Gary's wife, you, we don't get uh, a full face, do we? No. So I, I, th- I think, again, this is a stereotype. Yeah. Um, she's on the phone. We only see her well, body, really. But what we do see is a very messy kitchen. Yeah. Uh, what we hear is a baby screaming in the background. And um, well, his wife's not really having. No, doesn't really care. To no, <laughs> she's just kind of annoyed by the whole thing, um, which is I think is very much uh, playing on a stereotype. Yeah. Of the um, desperate housewife, mm-hmm. you know, who's uh, being cheated on. She's struggling to keep the household going, um, and she's faceless. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, Doreen has had her equipment set up at home by Daniel. And she sends Kim an email from Gary telling her to hold down the fort until he gets back because he needs a break. Uh, yeah. Virginia drags Doreen into the office to ask about Gary. Uh, she berates Doreen for leaving without finding the missing piece and forces Kim and Doreen to work together until the piece is found. 
Um, whilst Virginia is having a go at Doreen, Doreen has audio flashbacks to what I assume is a doctor mm-hmm. talking about the lasting effects of being put down and talked down to. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if that's a flashback from her childhood. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose it makes sense if it would. Uh, again, live in Virginia's classic Hollywood accent and constant yes. cigarette smoking. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Nora and Daniel have an argument. Daniel tells her she should listen to Kim and get a life. And Nora tells him to go fuck himself. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah so um, Nora actually... Nora and Kim, are, they're meant to be friends, but I'm really not so sure. Um, because Nora's also brings up Kim's lack of work ethic. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, you know, okay. You are her manager, so probably uh, it's legitimate. Uh, but Daniel does suggest that she needs to get a life. Uh, at the office, Kim and Doreen are waiting, and Kim throws a paper ball at Doreen's head before asking if she wants any food. Yeah, Kim is... She isn't best pleased with her company, is she? No, and I don't mean Doreen is, no. but she kind of pretends. She's. Um, I mean, Doreen is... Playing a part, essentially. Yeah. I mean, you get this flashback to her as a, as, as a child. Mm-hmm. And she's smirking at, um, you know, this deaf. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's very much, um, I want to say prim and proper. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very much yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am in the office. Um, but at home, she's throwing rats. Yeah. Into the garage willy-nilly, you know, and she's unplugging her mum's chairlift, even though her mum would need that chairlift to yeah. go, you know, if she wants any food, she needs to use the chair, this, that, and the other. So she's very much putting on a facade Yeah. Um, of this mousy, wouldn't say boo to a, you know, a goose mm-hmm. woman. Um, and she is... And people do take advantage of that, and she is treated a certain kind of way because of that. But underneath the surface, as we're seeing it break through throughout the film, she's actually different underneath, which is still in keeping with Cindy Sherman's artistic Mm -hmm. um, sort of themes and of painting on different facades Mm -hmm. and creating different identities mm-hmm. um and as a woman having to find the best identity to fit into a certain circumstance mm-hmm. to deal with situations yeah. better um to deal with life as a modern woman better which might not be so true whereas someone like kim who is a bitch but she's an honest bitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's not your typical bitch in a horror film because she's actually surprisingly likable. Um, yeah. In, in parts. I mean, obviously, uh, the bullying of Doreen, Doreen, if that was any other character in any other film, would be sympathising with her and, uh, you know, being against Kim. But because we know what Doreen's like, it kind of makes Kim more satisfying to watch, in a way. Yeah. 
But, Doreen, but again, it's morally ambiguous. But Doreen is a wimp. Yeah. And Kim, she's blunt with it, mm-hmm. which makes her the bitch. Yeah. But what she's saying isn't necessarily untrue. No. Um, but it, the delivery and the fact it's being delivered, some things just don't need to be said. Yeah. Um, but what she's saying isn't 100% false. No. And also, Nora could probably do with getting a life mm-hmm. <laughs> as yeah. well. Um, but also, she's having an affair with Gary. Yeah. So it's not completely 100%, you know, I'm I'm Kim, I'm honest. Mm-hmm. I say it as it is sort of thing. Yeah. Because she is going behind someone's back. So Doreen sneaks up on the nicotine queen herself and uh, when she tries to use her inhaler, she randomly dies. And it's revealed that Doreen has swapped the canister for something poisonous. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, for some reason the ashtray is on fire. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> but no one seems to react to this ashtray on fire. But okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it, this is potentially the only inhaler death scene from a slasher film. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, I suppose so. No, not, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 doesn't count, does it? Uh, no. No, no, no I don't think so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, inventive death. Inventive, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if you're trying to uh, cut down on the gore, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Death by inhaler yeah. is an interesting one. <laughs> Doreen takes Nicotine Queen's corpse home with her and watches TV with her and Gary's corpse. And uh, she sits there chatting with them. And I'm not going to lie to you. It is fucking terrifying. Carol Kane is terrifying in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Carol Kane is one of those actresses that can do anything. Yeah. She really can. She can be absolutely hilarious. Or could be quite scary. Uh, which makes her absolutely perfect for this role. Yeah. Um, this is the most talkative she's ever been. Um, <laughs> yeah. She, always when she's with the corpses. Always when she's with those corpses. She is so chatty, uh, the best buds, whereas mm-hmm. when they talk whilst the corpses were alive, she had barely anything yeah. to say. Um, so I think that's a very interesting uh, sort of character trait there yeah. as well. Absolutely. At breakfast the next day, Dorian's mother is moaning about not having a man around the house and reminisces about her husband. Yeah, um, she says that uh, her husband knew how to keep women under the thumb. Yeah. And everyone was much better for it. Yes. Um, essentially, know your role and shut your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, again, very much in keeping with Cindy Sherman's artistic themes, mm-hmm. the role of women, uh, the way women are viewed... Um, and the life of a modern woman who's, you know, Carol Kane. I, f- I feel like, uh, um, I was going to say Dorinda then. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? Not well, bitch. Um, D- Doreen, she, I feel like she is trying to be a modern woman mm. deep down. And, unfortunately, it manifests itself into violent acts. Yeah. Um, at home, her mother is very much in keeping with the role of women in the past. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. And, you know, again, to bring it back to the whole 
classic Hollywood reference point, how often is it that we see something from classic Hollywood like uh, Johnny Guitar where it's a feminist film and you've got a female lead character whose who's sole purpose is not to serve a man in the traditional way that you'd expect from other films. You know, how shocked are we when we see something like that? Yeah. Um, because it's so well known within those films from that era uh, that every woman's purpose is there to serve a man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Doreen's mother being stuck in that age and having this conversation with her, I think that definitely shows as to why Doreen is so conflicted from being a modern woman uh, when she's having that drilled into her head all the time at home from her mother. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with what happened with her father as well. And that's the sort of early figure she got to see. Yeah. Um, and I the think way deep he down, she respects her mother because she is her mother. Yeah. And she's very much in, in that school of thought where, you, you know you do listen to your, your mother and you do respect her and she looks after her mother yeah. in, in every respect. And, it, and, that's, and, you know, and, and going back to that again, it's, what, it's why I think the uh, Now Voyager comparison was a very good one because, again, it is amusing to think, okay, what if we put someone like that with that state of mind from a classic Hollywood film, we put them in a modern setting uh, and in this environment and then just let them loose killing people. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if it was Dorinda in this film, she would absolutely be playing Kim. Yeah, yeah. She... No, no, she would. She would be Doreen, and she she she'd be so aggressive, and she'd smack someone with a vodka bottle, and say, "I've cooked, I've cleaned, I've made it nice." <laughs> I think this is a disgrace. Uh, I mean, yeah. Although I could also imagine uh, Ramona also taking on this role. Oh, Especially gosh. all of the real housewives from New York could play this role. Pretty much. Oh, no, Luan is definitely a Kim. <laughs> Luan is definitely a Kim. Um, but yeah. Uh, Doreen spills anyway. a drink over her mother and tells her she'll bring the rest of her breakfast upstairs. And this is a great shot. Make no mistake, the you can tell this film is made by an artist. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean... A lot of photographer. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know really who was in charge of cinematography, but, yeah. um, I mean, from the directing alone, you can really tell. Yeah, um, there are some gorgeous shots. There's, there's the one film. towards the end in the basement that looks a bit like Suspiria, yeah. uh, with a red background. Um, and, and this shot of Doreen's mother going up the stairs whilst Doreen's in the kitchen... It feels unnecessary, but at the same time, you can't look away. There's just no. something there. It's just, it feels right. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and just as uh, she goes upstairs, the two Girl Scouts arrive. Yeah. Very early in the morning for Girl yeah. Scouts. Um, but yeah, Doreen goes, um, well, she says... The... I don't know if I misheard this, but the Girl Scouts, they're selling cookies. Mm -hmm. And she was like, have you got, is it peanut butter? But, uh, peanut butter? She, she says, uh, oh, my mother loves the peanut butter smoothies. But she goes to, I felt that yes, she that was, was Jennifer like, Tilly making a comeback. It was. <laughs> yeah, that was not Carol Kane. Uh, <laughs> 
But I felt like she went to say, my motherfucker. <laughs> my mother... Fu- uh, my mother. Um, but yeah, she invites them in. Um, so she can buy some cookies. Uh, and then eats them herself at the computer. <laughs> yeah. Didn't she? Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't see those girls again for a while. Yeah. Uh, she sends Kim another email from Gary saying that he'd been speaking to Virginia. Uh, Kim thinks Doreen and Virginia are lezzies together. She does accuse them of being lezzies. <laughs> then Kim goes to grass on Doreen. She does. But it turns out that Doreen has completed the piece, the missing piece. And uh, she's been so successful that the guys in charge think Kim is the one that left the night yeah. before and fire her on the spot. Yeah, Nora's giving Doreen some old clothes in the meantime. Yeah, she does, yeah. Yeah, Nora does offer some clothes to Doreen. And we find out that Doreen has been at the magazine for 16 years. And her father was one of the founding editors. Yeah, so this is when we get a bit of the backstory um, about Doreen and her father. Uh, We get exposition via flashback where uh, we see her father killed in a car accident. Uh, because he's being all flirty with his daughter and feeling up her leg. And this yeah. is the accident that put her mother in the wheelchair. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, he's way too handsy when comforting her. Her mother is having a go, um, because apparently Doreen lied. Mm-hmm. And uh, he does insinuate that Doreen's probably jealous yeah. of her mother. Um, and that's when he grabs her leg. So Doreen grabs his arm and she's smiling as he drives directly into a telephone pole. Yeah. Um, so clearly this side of her has been there mm-hmm. for many years. Yeah. And again, like I was saying, the facade. Yeah. To get to a certain place. But then also, I think it's quite interesting that she's been at that job for 16 years um, her father got her that job, mm-hmm. and that's kind of just where she stayed. Yeah. Um, she hasn't moved away from home. She's been looking after her mother since the car crash. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's that idea of control. Yeah. And the idea is that she took control of a situation, and it led to her father's death. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of her life has seemingly been controlled. Yeah. Um, I'm a little confused, though, to be fair, because she was clearly a child when her father died. Yeah. So how did her father get her the job? Because she wouldn't have been working Unless that she meant because of the fact that her dad was a founder. Maybe. And he'd already got Mr. Landau yeah. his job there. You know, that got her in just by giving her name. Yeah, potentially, or her mother pushed her. Yeah. Uh, but it was her father's name that got her the job. I won't look too much into that. Um, but again, her life has been controlled by other people. Yeah, yeah. And the times when she does take control, mm-hmm. it ends in violence and it ends in death. Mm-hmm. And I think that's quite interesting. Yeah. Kim's ranting about Doreen in the bathroom, unaware that she's in there listening to her. Yeah, Kim, Kim does have a moment talking to herself. Again, again insinuating that Doreen and Virginia are uh, lesbian lovers. 
Um, yeah. I mean, I'd love to see that film myself. Um, you know, them two lesbian lovers going on a killing spree. Yeah, that would be a very interesting version of Thelma and Louise. Um, Virginia just killing people with cigarettes. Yeah. Um, Kim packs up her stuff and Doreen stalks her as she's leaving the office. Uh, but Kim bumps into Daniel as she's leaving and he invites her to go for a drink with him and Nora. And she says she'll meet him there. And then, you know what? Uh, the film goes a little unpredictable. I thought, okay, shit. She's going to meet her there. She's going to meet him there. She's not making it there. No. And that's why I put... Because I wouldn't normally include someone in my notes, but I put, you know, she says she'll meet him there. There's no way she's going to survive. Yeah. Um, but no, it's not Kim who gets it. It's uh, the post boy looking at a lad's mag in the uh, yeah. post closet at work. Yeah, this is the a, a strange death because earlier in the film he does accidentally knock into Nora. Yeah. But this not Nora, excuse me, Doreen. Doreen. But this doesn't. I'm assuming it's not a revenge killing. No, I think it's just because he's. I think uh, she's just. This is her completely lost it. Yeah. Um. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, bless him. Yeah. I, I thought it was more to do with the lads, Mac, to be honest. I thought she was fearing because he was uh, giving himself a treat at work. Well, no, yeah, but she didn't come across like... Well, maybe. But she didn't She didn't come across... Because the easy one would be for her to be a devout Christian as well. Yeah. Um, and that, that isn't played no. at all within the film. It's just a, a mousy woman who's just had enough. Yeah. Essentially. Um, yeah, so we cut to, um, Kim and Nora, mm. they're at the bar, uh, uh, they're at the bar arguing, because that's all they ever do, <laughs> it's like, uh, Kim's being a bitch again, and Nora defends poor defenceless Doreen. Yes. Um, poor defenceless Doreen then pulls out a sellotape dispenser. <laughs> yeah. From the postboy's neck, and uh, an artery is attached to it as well. I'm so glad we actually got a death by office equipment. Yes, in this film. it was necessary. I feel <laughs> a film called Office Killer. You had to have a little bit yeah. of uh, stationary. office stationery <laughs> murder. Um, she takes his body to her car in a, a crate. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, in the other crate, like the, yeah. where all the letters go yeah. in. I can't remember what it's called. It's on wheels. Uh, and she's thanked by the management for all her hard work. <laughs> she's a real lifesaver. See what they did there? Um, yeah, when she takes him home and puts him in the basement, it's revealed that she killed the Girl Scouts. Oh. That's the moral ambiguity there. Yeah. This is where that's starting to come into play. Because the thing is, Gary was an arsehole. Yeah. Gary kind of deserved it. And in some way brought it on himself. Um... Who else died? Oh, Virginia was a bitch. Mm. She... I think the Girl Scouts, I think it's because uh, she was jealous of her mum being like, oh, this Girl Scout, help me out. and blah, blah, blah. Well, as like a punishment for helping her mum. Yeah. That, again, that's really morally ambiguous, yeah. isn't it? Uh, and then the post boy, what, because he was looking at a dirty man. <laughs> like, what have these people really done wrong? Yeah. To warrant this. And this is where the black comedy comes into yeah. it as well. Um, yeah, and then this is where the where it's kind of explored what she does with the corpses. Where she starts pulling off nails from uh, the nicotine queen. Um, cleans up Gary's exploded chest. Yeah, so Gary's starting to decompose. 
and so she uses a bit of, I think, window cleaner yeah. to help preserve his body. Um, so she's essentially killed these people, and this, this is what Cindy Sherman was trying to show. So rather than have gory death scenes that mm-hmm. didn't mean anything, what she focuses on is Doreen propping these new friends yeah. up. And um, she's never been so popular. She's got all these people coming yeah. around to see her. They're watching TV together in the basement. Her mum's all the way upstairs, you know. Don't have to focus on her. Don't have to think about her. Yeah, and it's a creepy sight. I mean, you know, when we get a slasher film, there always tends to be a third act where the final girl finds all the corpses arranged in a certain way. You never really see them being arranged in that way. I mean, the only, the closest thing you could get to something like this is probably Black Christmas. And the shots of Billy in the attic and, you know, and so on, like the ending. Maniac? Maniac, Maniac, yeah. Maniac? And that's the thing, it's always the creepiest films that show this shit. Yeah. Um, so, for them to include it in what's essentially a comedy as well, you know, I, I mean, it was a really good touch that forced the horror in there. Um, to make you know, make you aware, we're not fucking around. This isn't just a comedy. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because in a film like Maniac, um, and we we're talking about the nineteen eighty Maniac, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Joe Spinell version, um, he's also a very lonely person. Yeah. Um, who kills and props up these um corpses mm. as. I think for him it's more sexual, but yeah. for company, for him, I think the company of a woman. Uh-huh. Whereas with Doreen, the company of anyone, and <laughs> really. Yeah, and I think there is a bit of maniac taken in this film, especially with a certain shot at the end, um, where, spoiler alert, the corpses reanimate yeah. um, in her imagination. That definitely yeah. made me think of... Uh, of Maniac. Maniac. Yeah, absolutely. And that other uh, slasher film that I believe... What was it we covered on podcast Nasty November? Uh, Don't Go in the House. The ending of that as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, and it, it absolutely works throwing in a film like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Doreen fixes Nora's computer for the next day and gives her a speech about how computers are like children. Yeah, yeah. Doreen helps her and suggests that computers should be treated with care, like children. Um, which I'm assuming she means in terms of her mum, yeah. her domineering mother, mm-hmm. not the fact that she recently <laughs> murdered two children. Uh, Nora calls her a lifesaver. <laughs> See what they did there. And Doreen sees a figure of $58,000 on Nora's yes. computer screen, which uh, uh, I'm assuming means something. <laughs> yeah. Because then Nora receives an email from a consumer informing her that they know what she's been up to and that grand larceny could put her in prison for a long time. Yes. So she should stop it now. Um, grand larceny, very American phrase, so I did have to Google it. Grand larceny is the theft... 
it's theft, but of a significant amount. Yeah, Alexandra Burke hasn't brought that term to the she UK hasn't. yet. So she we, hasn't, yeah. We're always relying on Alexandra Burke to bring us some American sayings. <laughs> I think it's a phrase that left the UK and went to America, uh, but it hasn't been brought back by Alexandra yet. Um, but essentially it's insinuating that that 58k ain't Nora's money, but she's taken it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kim's just storming in and out of the office. I know. <laughs> like, she's been sacked and she's still like... been sacked. She's still turning up by Doreen's a piece of Maybe shit. Maybe she's the one that needs to get alive. <laughs> but she's whinging about Doreen, setting her up again. Um, which is 100% true, actually, to be fair. I mean, <laughs> um, she goes to the stairwell for a ciggy and Nora uses a scarf. Uh, not mm-hmm. Nora. Why do I keep doing Doreen. this? So many names. Doreen uses a scarf to try and strangle Kim. Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't succeed. No. It's like, no. oh my God. The bitch yeah. of the film yeah, yeah. keeps surviving. And that's kind of made me realise something as well about her fate for the rest of the film. Absolutely. That is, yeah, that is turning she's, the trope on its head. She, yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah. She's in it till the end. Um... Yeah, she gets away, tells Nora about it, but Nora doesn't believe a word of it until she leaves her office and then she's like, okay, shit, yeah, maybe uh, something dodgy's going on here. Yeah, she's quite paranoid and she thinks that Doreen could be behind the email. I mean, it's quite obvious because Doreen was quite clearly staring (laughs) at a computer screen that showed how guilty you are. Yeah. Uh, She talks to Mr Landau and he explains that Doreen's father gave him the job if he promised to leave Doreen alone, despite Doreen having a crush on him, Mm. as uh, Doreen's father didn't agree with a potential relationship between the two. Yes, because he's jealous. Well, this, yeah, this could be read in in many different Mm -hmm. ways. Each of them paints Doreen's father as a massive piece of shit. Yeah. So it could be uh, because of race, Mm. uh, because uh, Mr. Landau is black, uh, Doreen's father's controlling behaviour. Yeah. Or it could be Doreen's father's sexual abuse of his daughter, as mm-hmm. hinted to earlier. Yeah. Uh, Nora and Doreen go out to lunch. Uh, but before they get in the car, Doreen knocks Nora out with a uh, tyre iron. Yes. Uh, Kim goes to Daniel to get his help with Doreen. And Doreen arrives home and finds her mother has died in bed. I'm assuming through neglect. Yeah. That would be my assumption. I think so. It's been a while since we last saw her. I think because the two girls have been killed. Yeah. No one's there to switch on her chairlift. No. And this is my assumption. It's not really said how she dies. But I'm assuming through neglect mm-hmm. uh, that the mother has died. Uh, Doreen informs her now dead mother that her and her father can now disco dance in hell. Yeah, she absolutely loses a shit in the scene. Yeah, she does. A, a great performance by Carol Kane. Um, and really justified. Yeah. I mean, the scene... With the car crash, her mother doesn't actually react... No. ...to her father feeling up her leg. Mm-hmm. So, 
it's seemingly something that the mother was aware of. Yeah. Or so blindly um, ignorant of it Mm -hmm. as to, you know, uh, make her part of the the problem, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, seemingly she, she wasn't helping in, in that sense. Um, Kim sits rather flirtatiously at Daniel's, I thought. Yes. She was, uh, she's on a little lounge, uh, very much paint me like one of your French girls, um, but with a top on. Uh-huh. And, uh, Daniel believes that Nora may be at Doreen's, so sets off to Doreen's house, but it's just him. Yeah, and before this point, Kim has told him about, uh, Doreen attacking her. Yeah. And scarf. Yeah, and he seems to believe her, actually. Uh, whereas no one else seemed to believe mm-hmm. her. Um, the... <laughs> Doreen's mother's body's taken away. And did you get down what the yes, paramedics the paramedic said? Like, oh, they've probably got another one in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> She's weird. Probably got another one in the basement. The whole place reeked to death. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> Daniel arrives at Doreen's home, and Doreen is now without glasses... Her hair is down, mm-hmm. and she's way more talkative than ever. Yes. Her mother dying has done wonders for her appearance. Yes. Um, we see that Laura... Uh, Laura? Fucking Laura. Laura, Chris. What's wrong with me? We see that Nora is alive and mm-hmm. starts to awaken in the basement. Yeah. Um, did you think that Dorian was being flirtatious with Daniel? Um, I don't think so. I think that's just her. Um, yeah. She just seems to be acting As like in, Dorian. like, her true self is coming yeah. out. Uh-huh. Um, because seemingly from this point, she doesn't need glasses. No. We don't see her wear glasses after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are thick glasses. Yeah. Um, you know, so generally people with thicker glasses need them more. Well, speak for yourself. Well, I'm not... I'm, I'm, I'm no... Um, what's the word? Optician. You're an optician. I'm no optician, <laughs> but I always thought the thicker the glasses, the stronger the glasses. It's a style choice, okay. Like, like Velma. Oh, is it not? Is that ever, no. Are you serious? Like the glass, like the glass itself, the thicker the glass... The worse the eyesight. I don't know about that. I thought you meant. I mean, I thought you meant the frame. I was going to say. Well, no. You no, 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 no. The thickness of the glass <laughs> itself. Anyway, whatever. Well, she don't need them anymore. Apparently, she don't need the glasses. So, um, she's wearing Nora's necklace. She is wearing Nora's. So in, Daniel notices. Yeah, and. Doreen says that the computer, she's gotten so used to it, it's now her best friend. Mm-hmm. And Daniel quite bluntly says, if the computer is your best friend, it might be true what they say about you. <laughs> and he just tells her straight to her face that because she's a quiet person, people just assume she's weird. Yeah. And, um, I mean, they're not wrong, but they probably shouldn't assume these things. Really. Because, actually, she was probably most normal when she was quiet. It's true. <laughs> and more talkative when she started murdering people. Uh, Nora wakes up, fully now, mm. and she discovers the corpses in the basement. She vomits, and she sort of falls forward, and her hand falls straight into Gary's decomposing yeah. stomach. <laughs> so these are flashes of uh-huh. the war that I think Cindy Sherman... Yeah. Uh, was going to do and then decided against. 
Yeah. Uh, Daniel mentions to Doreen about how Kim said she attacked her. Uh, and then after she, he hears Nora in the basement, uh, he questions Doreen to what it is. And she just... Uh, she doesn't give a shit now. She grabs the scissors from the she kitchen. She blames the cats, doesn't yeah. she? <laughs> grabs some scissors, locks him in uh, the kitchen. Yeah, she locks the door behind him when she goes into the basement. And uh, reveals to Nora that it was her who sent the email... And uh, blames it all on her on to work from home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nora thinks Doreen is there to help her. And Doreen tells her they are home. Home, where you sent us to work to cut costs while she was stealing from the company. Yeah. Um. So Nora came across as our final girl. Mm-hmm. She was always nice to Doreen, always defended her. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that she really was the catalyst mm-hmm. for all of this. Um, I think Doreen obviously took it way too far. Yeah. Um, but Noreen, no, Noreen, fucking hell, Nora is not the squeaky clean one. No. And, yeah, I think that's interesting. And I think it's an interesting take on horror tropes. Yeah. Definitely. Is who we thought was going to be our final girl really isn't. No. Um, Nora knocks... Well, she gives it a good go, though, bless her. Mm-hmm. Because she knocks Doreen over, but she can't can't quite escape. Uh, Doreen backs Nora into a corner uh, between a washing machine and a dryer. <laughs> uh, Daniel tries to hit Doreen with a trophy. He finally gets in. But he gets slashed across the stomach. Yep, kills him. We then get some screaming off screen Mm -hmm. uh, as the camera sort of pans towards the staircase and the doorway. Uh So we don't quite know who's been killed with the screaming. Uh, We then see an email is being sent to Kim from Nora apologising for everything. And we see that it's Doreen at the computer Mm -hmm. sending another email. Uh, Doreen calls Kim and uh, Kim asks who it is and Doreen says no one at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Kim calls the police but Doreen has already set the house on fire. Yes. Um, So I think that was interesting when um, Doreen calls up Kim and you know no one at all. Mm -hmm. You know she's the person who everyone forgot them. Forgot work there, even though she was there for 16 years. Yeah. Uh, everyone forgot she worked there. She's a quiet little mouse in the corner that no one noticed. Yeah, and this is the scene where she imagines everyone alive and chatting to each other in the basement. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Um, and then we end the film with Doreen driving away. Mm-hmm. Um, she's now with blonde hair. Yeah. And she's wearing sunglasses. Full face of makeup now. Full face of makeup. She'd never look better. And Nora's head is in a bag next to yeah. her. She's circled a job advert in the newspaper mm-hmm. looking for uh, someone to work in an office who's very detail orientated. Yep. And she informs us that she's looking for office work and may end up working with us. Yes. Uh, essentially. She breaks the fourth wall, don't she? Yeah. And, um,. We end. That's that's office killer. So very interesting that Kim, who is the most sexual character, yeah, who is the bitchiest character, mm-hmm. and if this was a 
classic slasher film would have been dead way before the mm-hmm. end. She probably would have been the first one gone. Yeah. But she survives till the end. Yeah. Um, I think Molly Ringwald is great casting for that role. Yeah. Because, I mean, she never did it, but Molly Ringwald would have been the perfect final girl. Yeah. The image that she created uh, with her on-screen personas and characters during the 80s, she would have been a perfect final girl. Really, and I I would, you know... um, I would attest to that to to anyone. And uh, so I think it's interesting that she is the final girl. Uh (laughs) But... um, (laughs) But for all the wrong reasons. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah, give us a uh, give us a legacy sequel. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh God. Bring back Molly Ringwald and Carol Kane. Carol Kane. But yeah, no, this is clearly set up for a sequel. And I'm good that it hasn't had one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting in the end. Um, Doreen is absolutely wearing a new persona. Yeah. She's doing exactly what Cindy Sherman does mm-hmm. in her photographs. Yeah. She's a new person because she's created this new identity for herself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's blonde hair and sunglasses. But the moment we saw how she looked, we had a new idea of who she is. Yeah. And a lot of that is based on stereotype, you know, bleached mm-hmm. blonde hair. Oh, she must be a sex bomb. You know, that yeah. kind of thing that's ingrained and, and very much because of classic Hollywood films mm-hmm. as well. These stereotypes about women. Um, I, I love, I really enjoyed this yeah. film. I really did. Um, I love what the film is trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um very much in keeping with Cindy Sherman's work, which I love. Um, loved how it dealt with themes of the grotesque, mm. you know, uh, the role of women in society and yeah. female stereotypes. Um, the classic Hollywood depiction mm-hmm. of... We love classic Hollywood. We've been watching a lot of classic Hollywood recently. Um, so that was a really interesting take. And the idea of disguises and wearing different versions of yourself, um, I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially, it was a fun film as well. Yeah. And it was well acted. Um, we love a camp horror film. Yeah. There were moments of camp oh, in definitely. there. Absolutely. Um it's not your perfect tim- for women in horror. Yeah, maybe. it's not. It's not your typical post scream slasher. No, and I think that's probably where, um, not where it failed. The reason why it failed yeah. at the box office yeah. and critically, because it was nineteen ninety seven, and post scream, I think people were looking for something that was very meta. Um. And this wasn't... It was in a certain sense, but not meta in regards to slasher films. Yeah. Or horror films. It was a little bit, 
and it does play on horror film stereotypes. Yes. Yeah. But actually, it has a lot more to say. And it's very in keeping, again, and I keep saying this, but very in keeping with the themes that Cindy Sherman had dealt with for, you know, two decades Mm -hmm. before. Yeah. And I think maybe that's where people got a little confused. I think so. And they confused what Cindy Sherman had been doing for a very long time with what they expected from a post-Scream horror film. Uh And they got it twisted. And I, I, I genuinely think that. Yeah. Because this is way better than seemingly people at the time gave it credit for. Yeah. I mean, I go on Letterboxd and there's some quite high ratings. People seem to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I follow people who are quite like-minded Yeah. to me and we've got very similar tastes. So I don't know how much, you know, the wider audience gets it now. Um, it's hard to come by, though, really. Let's, let's be fair. It hasn't had a, a Blu-ray release yet. No, I mean, so it, it may have in America, nice. but the UK oh, okay. is definitely... UK, there's no need. Blu-ray release. It's just DVD. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would like to see a good release of this film. Yeah, absolutely. Very underrated, and we can't recommend it enough. Absolutely. So, are you a fan of Office Killer? Let us know on social media. We're Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm the like Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruz92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Don't forget to give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like a follow on everything else. Give us a rating on Spotify. We'll be back on Friday uh, with this month's Original versus Remake episode, where we'll be discussing House on Haunted Hill, both the William Castle classic and the 90s remake. And next week, we have a special guest episode. Yay. Uh, we will be having Xander return back to the podcast. And he's brought us another wonderful looking film with Razor Blade Smile. Yeah, I've heard of it. And I, remem- <laughs> I remember the DVD from when I used to... Uh... Peruse the aisles of uh, Virgin Megastore back in the day. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to watching this one. Yes. And lovely to have a guest back on. It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, has. Love it having has. guests on. Um, so you don't have to listen to my voice <laughs> as much. Well, yeah, but then people ain't going to want to listen. <laughs> you flatter me. <laughs> we'll see you on Friday. Bye.